0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly. Written and narrated by Becky Kaiser, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Thanks for joining our conversation today. We're in the middle of a mini series for late summer. It's called Getting By. And each of these episodes, we're inviting a guest who has something specific to share about how we can get by in life, considering the world as it is today. Now, Hannah, in our previous conversation, we had Wendy Alsup with us, and she spoke with us about enduring and difficulty. And I really feel like that was the perfect start to this series.
2: Absolutely. Because I think at some level, we just have to come to terms with the fact that hard times are a reality, like they're mm-hmm. normal. I think it's very easy for us to believe that hard times are the aberration, that, that life is just generally good and when you hit a patch of either personal or collective difficulty that this is somehow abnormal and so it's just so helpful to kind of recenter and reorient our, our sense of what life is and for most people in most of human history it's just been very difficult and the difficulties that we encounter um, again whether it's personally or collectively are pretty normal and and there are ways that we need to learn resiliency and there are truths that will help us go through suffering in a way that is if not victorious, at least coping. At, at least, least we right, can right. get by.
1: That is the thing. I, I think with this series, this idea of getting by, um, sometimes it feels like you're you're barely able to pick yourself up and move forward. But generally speaking, after those stretches where it is so difficult, you are able to, to pick yourself up a bit and move forward. But very often, that comes at cost. I mean, it's painful. Suffering isn't fun. It's not like we need to go seek it out. But it is here and so we we need to learn and learn together how do we get through these times that will come and like you said they are a normal part of life, but none of us want to sign up for them. I mean, all of us want to find the quickest route out of the suffering, but in the midst of them, how do we get by? How do we move forward and how do we make it through? So I I love the start of the series and the conversations that we have had and the ones that are coming up. And today we have another installment. We're so thrilled to have another guest with us today to help us uh, talk through this idea of how do we get by. Today we have Gina delfonso with us. Gina's been with us before on um, Persuasion, twice, I, I believe. And so if you are a regular listener with us, if you've been with us along the way, you'll recognize her, but you may also know her from All of her writing. She's authored a book on being single in the church, and that's titled One by One. She has another book coming out on friendship. It releases this month, and there will be more on that in just a bit. But she's also written for lots of other publications and outlets, and she's a Christ and pop culture staff writer. She's just all over the place. Gina, we're so glad you're back with us today at Persuasion. I'm so glad to be back. Thank you. Yeah, we're thrilled that you're here. You you always bring in great insight and uh, you help us to process things that we we need to know. In the past, you've talked with us about your love for uh, old films, particularly Singing in the Rain. I will make sure I get that linked up because that was such a fun conversation. And so we want to make sure all you listeners out there, if you haven't heard Gina's talk about Singing in the Rain, you need to listen to that one. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that was a fun one.
2: (laughs) It was. So Gina, we have to ask you though, how are you getting by in these days? Uh, How are you surviving? Are you (laughs) making it? Because we are just barely.
3: (laughs) Uh, And if you uh, are making it, how? How are you (laughs) Oh, First and foremost, I am getting by by reading, which is pretty much my natural go-to and my natural reaction for everything in life every time in life every difficulty in life uh it's um it's really absurd the number of books i have <laughs> uh, i, love I mean, this. I, I do tend to to have more than one book going at any given time but right now uh when we are largely stuck at home when we need escapes when we need distractions or when we need you know we, we also need a little bit of uh wisdom and insight and, and guidance coming into our lives uh i have just feel like i'm diving into a book with every spare moment and mm-hmm. there are so many <laughs> um for, for my book club i'm reading uh the warmth of other suns which is a oh, massive, that's
1: so good massive
3: book but yes. so good <laughs> um i'm reading in birds new book i'm uh i just finished up a book on uh famous female uh literary friendships um I'm just so many going at the same time.
2: So it's so I got to ask you though, I got to ask you, Gina, do you do the Goodreads challenge, the Goodreads yearly annual challenge where you're supposed to pick a number of books that you're going to read in a year? Because I got to say, 2020 just totally. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Uh, Well, if I had known, (laughs) it really was going to be the ideal year for it. I, I don't do the challenge just because... I never, I I know, I always know I'm going to read a lot of books in a year. I never quite know how many, but I am am on Goodreads. I like being on Goodreads and, uh, you know, checking them off as I go and and rating them and so forth. But I haven't done the challenge, but it would have been a good idea. This This
1: would have been the year for it, for sure. This is how I read too, Gina. I have so many books going and I have them all over the house. And sometimes I misplace a book. Like there was a book I started last summer that I loved. And then I got into lots of books and and then I couldn't find the book, and ah. amazingly, just like a month or two ago, I found it under a stack of other books that I didn't know that's where it was. So I do agree with you, like lots of books all the time. Like this is just how I live my life. But definitely during this summer, during the the lockdown See, restrictions, I've been reading a ton. It's been great,
2: Erin. That is such a benefit of being absent-minded,
1: and I've known this <laughs> for a while.
2: But like you have all of these pleasant surprises all the time. It, it
1: really is. <laughs> It really it really was. I was like, oh, here's this book. I was so thrilled because I, I was starting to get bothered. Like, oh, I'd see it on Goodreads like it's been on my in-reading progress list for so <laughs> long. And I kept thinking, I've got to find that book. And I found it. So I'm going to finish that one up here real quick.
3: Oh, good.
2: <laughs> now, speaking of good books, though.
1: Yes. Gina. Oh, uh- we need to hear about Gina's newest book. It is um, being released this month. Uh, The title of it is The Remarkable Friendship Between C.S. Lewis and Dorothy L. Sayers. It's from Baker Publishing. Gina, we want to hear a bit about this book and tell us about who it's about and why you were inspired to write it.
3: Okay, well... This is about the friendship of Dorothy L. Sayers, who is best known today as a mystery novelist, one of the great mystery novelists, and C.S. Lewis, who I think we're all familiar with <laughs> from, mm-hmm. from uh, Narnia, Screwtape, Mere Christianity, all, all the rest. Um, I first found out about... Their friendship. Well, let let me backtrack a little bit. I first started reading Lewis in high school a little bit. Uh, When I got to college at Messiah College, now Messiah University, I took a class called Theology and Oxford Christian Writers, and this is where I encountered Tolkien and, and some of the other Inklings, but also this is where I encountered Dorothy L. Sayers. Uh, Because she was not just a great mystery novelist, but she was also a Christian and a friend of C.S. Lewis and did some work in apologetics like Lewis did. And so... Uh This class, I think we covered seven writers and explored the web of relationships between them. But when I went off on my own and started reading uh, Sarah's correspondence and some of her other writings and some of Lewis's other writings, I started to pick up on the friendship between these two in particular. And, uh, just enjoyed it. I mean, we we are so fortunate to have so many letters between them. Mm -hmm. And uh, their letters are just so much fun to read. They're warm and witty and sometimes a little combative. But you know, (laughs) that's how friendship goes. (laughs) That's right. That's a sign uh, of true
1: friendship right there. (laughs) Exactly.
3: And so this this was this friendship that was sort of lying there in plain sight, and yet not really, it it wasn't something that had really been explored in a lot of detail, I found. Uh, We all know about Lewis and Tolkien and the Inklings and that wonderful group and the wonderful work they did together, but uh, Lewis had other friends too, and Sarah's was a very good friend, and its I just found it so inspiring and interesting and and something that I thought should be better known.
2: Well, I have loved this book, Gina. And I've already told you this privately, but I want to tell everyone else. I have so enjoyed this book. Um, it, it's really a sweet spot for Gina. Um, she has this understated observational humor that's just perfect for nonfiction and bibliographic writing. Um And so she lets um, Sayers and Lewis take center stage. But then occasionally, Gina, you'll just make these kind of observational comments that just are perfect and on the mark. So I have loved uh, reading this book. And one thing you mentioned about the letters between Sayers and Lewis being the primary, um, you know, way that we know about their friendship. I found it remarkable, um, that you mentioned that Lewis discarded a lot of his correspondence, a lot of his letters, but he didn't discard Sayers' letters, like he kept them. And the very fact that he kept them was testament that they meant something to him and and that their um, correspondence was a very significant part of his own work and his own friendship with, with Dorothy. Color Dorothy.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, As you say, he had a habit of discarding letters, and unfortunately, he seems to have discarded at least the first couple of hers, according to his habit, which, (laughs) which is sad because we don't now we don't have them to look at. But as as their friendship went on, he did start keeping her letters, and it's interesting he valued her not just as a friend but also just as a great letter writer. And and he would continually tell her this. He would say, you know, you are a great letter writer. <laughs> so someday someday mm-hmm. you may be more famous for your letters even than, than for your other writings. Uh, another place he said, you're a great letter writer. I'm not, which isn't true. He was a good letter writer, <laughs> but he was just impressed by, just by the way she wrote letters as, as much as he was by, you know, what she said in her letters and, and how she expressed her friendship in her letters.
2: And really it okay. was letters that started their friendship wasn't mm-hmm. as as you wrote in the book that Sayers actually wrote him something of a, I don't know if you call it fan mail or mm-hmm. a very affirming letter about some of the work he had done, which I do think that's a way to get on the good side of an author if you want to start a friendship yeah. with an author, <laughs> just speaking yeah. true personally.
3: Yeah, and and it came at a, at a really good time because she was famous by this time. She, she had written... Uh, most or all, I think, of her her mystery novels, she was really well known. I mean, she was right up there with Agatha Christie. And uh, he was just beginning to be known as a writer. And so, I mean, that's the time (laughs) when you want uh, well-known writers writing to you and encouraging you. And she did that for him. And it, it meant a lot to him.
0: This episode is brought to you in part and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org.
1: Well, Gina, I have loved... Your book so far. I, I'm just working through it and I have loved it, just like what Hannah was saying is that you have provided such a rich insight into this friendship. And that's why we wanted to bring you on to this conversation today, is because we are looking at how we get by. And there's something very um, beautiful about this friendship that you are able to show us with Lewis and Sayers. And there's something about um, their friendship friendship in particular that we can learn from. Um, one of the things that we need to know is that they were communicating and corresponding in a very difficult period of history. Could you talk a little bit about the backdrop of this friendship, the time frame, and then maybe share a little bit about what we can learn from how they communicated and maybe what those difficulties were contributing to their friendship.
3: Yes, uh, they first became friends in the early forties, nineteen forty-two or thereabouts, which, of course, we know as the time period of World War II. So, as uh, British people, uh, they were they were caught up in the thick of this, uh, mm-hmm. not so much um, personally as just part of something the entire country and the entire world was going through, mm-hmm. and it was so. So, it was a time and. and more than that, they had both uh, gone through World War One before that, which mm-hmm. Lewis had been a soldier in that war, and it had altered his life in permanent ways, just as it did for everybody who was in it. Uh, Sarahs too, had, had uh, some involvement on her end, and her husband uh, dealt with the after effects of that war for years and years and years. So uh, they both had this wartime experience, and they were going through this wartime experience when they first connected. And they both i mean they both have this indomitable spirit that comes mm-hmm. through which is so impressive when you read what they wrote and you consider what they were going through um i mean bombings and uh lewis was taking in uh children <laughs> to who yeah. were from london mm-hmm. and uh just all 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 this all this danger that they were going through and and um it just did not it, it must have worn them down to some extent but you you don't sense it in, in their writings and their letters you, you don't sense it wearing them down. I, maybe it's some of that British stiff upper lip thing <laughs> uh, maybe it's that quality and yet and yet um, you you sense that they did draw support too from friendship uh, and from their common interests, from their faith. From their love of literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah is famously, uh, when she was on her way to a bomb shelter, grabbed a copy of Dante. At, on her way there, and started reading it while she was in the bomb shelter, and from there came this great love of Dante that led her to translate the Divine Comedy. So, wow. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, her priorities in order.
2: We're all in good <laughs> company, reaching for a book in unprecedented times. Right,
3: right, right. right. But um, also, they they had this, they had this, they, they developed this bond that I think their friendship too uh, helped them in difficult times. And aside from the war, they both had a lot of personal difficulties at home. Um, Sarah's husband uh, had dealt with alcoholism and lifelong illness, uh, and Lewis's brother was dealing with alcoholism. They they both had a number of personal difficulties they were struggling with, and it wasn't so much that they shared their difficulties with each other, Hmm. because they, they didn't really do that until later in their friendship. Uh, but they both drew such strength from the intellectual side of friendship. They loved hmm. talking about faith, theology, literature, common interests. And that just in itself was a great support to them both. It was exactly the kind of bond they needed. It was the kind of conversation love. Hmm. It, it really just, uh, absorbed them both and, uh, it, it helped strengthen them.
2: If I hear you correctly, it sounds like you're saying the, um, commonality, the friendship they had around intellectual and apologetic pursuits was kind of maybe a reprieve or a strengthening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that would enable them to continue to suffer well in other ways. So it wasn't necessarily like they were coming and just dumping all of their emotions and finding Mm -hmm. this person who could know them or get them at this emotional level but more it was that they they found such sustenance from these kinds of conversations whether it was with each other or with other people that that work gave them life and power and strength to go back to lives of suffering and to find some stability in the midst of um really social upheaval.
3: yes exactly uh they they uh lewis uh says i think it's in maybe it's in the four loves somewhere where he writes about friendship he he has such interesting ideas about friendship that when we read them now uh that they, they strike us or they strike me at least as, as very different from what we tend to think. You know, he, he'll say, you know, friends don't have to know all the personal messy details of, of each other's lives. They, they just have to have these common interests. They have to connect over these things. Friendship has to be about something. And, you know, something about that makes me think that uh, it would have been great Facebook friends <laughs> if they had lived <laughs> today. Because you, you know how on Facebook you'll connect with somebody over a shared interest. Sure. And, and just really dive into all the aspects of that and then maybe later you learn that your friend has a sibling or a dog or <laughs> mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you know wh- whatever um, and that's that's how Lewis did friendship a lot of the time and and Sarah's like that she was into that too um, they the the things that for them were fundamental so so much of that was was intellectual and they just really connected in that way but then it, it's fascinating to see how they built their foundation there. And they encouraged each other in their work and so forth and in their writing and reading. And then from there, it did start to get more personal over the years. They they did start to talk about... Uh, Personal things, difficulties, frustrations, and and um, when it came to that, they they became very supportive of each other because they they had already they had already built their bond. It it, it had become a really strong bond, and, and from there they were able to support each other. It it wasn't until like near the end of their correspondence, uh, Sarah's w- was the one who died first, and they kept up their friendship till the very end of her life. But it, it towards the end of this, you start to see him. Sp- saying that his brother is an alcoholic. And Sayers knew and liked his brother, but she didn't know this. Um, His brother was an alcoholic. And and then she said, yes, my husband was an alcoholic too. And it's hard, I know it's hard. And so, and and then he was able to tell Sayers about his marriage when he wasn't always able to tell all of his friends because some of them weren't really supportive of that but but sarah's was and she was she was very supportive she was very congratulatory she wrote them a little poem for wedding present, mm-hmm. and uh it, it was just it, it's lovely how he really starts to open up to her and, and and writes to her all these beautiful things about his marriage that he doesn't always feel inclined to confide to all his other friends
1: that's so interesting, Gina, because I, I it seems like today, uh, almost like at the measure of the depth of a friendship is, do they know every little detail of everything going on and um, every whim of the heart and every struggle? And I I think in some ways, I even value that. Like, I want people to know me and know all the layers of me. And that's how I feel connected. I, I think it's interesting, though, that you're bringing in this other side where it's not just knowing all of the little details. It's also looking at something together where you you both have an interest, almost like you're both nurturing something together. And there's almost like that provides ground to grow something, and that has its own sustenance back to you. Um, Whereas I feel like a lot of our friendships can be viewed today as more like like a therapeutic relationship. This feels more like a shared common goal friendship or relationship that actually is feeding you in a different way than someone who is helping you with all of the inner turmoil that you might feel.
2: All right. So we have just got to stop right now and recognize the, the significance of, of this topic in this moment and the way we do relate to each mm-hmm. other. Like this, I'm just sitting here listening mm-hmm. to this and all these, um, associations and lights are going off for me and, and, a, Obviously, some of this is based in personality. You know, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, there are differences between the way people form friendships and yep. the way we think of friendships. So there is that kind of individuality. But yeah. I do think as a culture, we approach friendships as that BFF, right? Yes. That person who gets me at this deep, deep, deep level, and they know so much about me, and it's very emotional. And I have to be honest, that has always befuddled me. And it may just be that... <laughs> I'm a certain personality that's not inclined to relationships that way. And I remember, I'm just going to throw this out there because I think this conversation is beautiful in what it represents at a larger um, perspective, because I mm-hmm. think what you're describing, Gina, about Sayers and Lewis's friendship validates so much that we disdain that mm-hmm. in, in this cultural moment, mm-hmm. we move immediately to the emotional and yes. personal. Uh-huh. And that has to be established before we can do anything else. Yeah. And I remember a couple years ago, I was in a ministry setting and trying to f- work with some ministry colleagues. And um, there's another woman my age, slightly younger, and she insisted on f- needing to form this deep personal, emotional relationship with me in order to do the work of the ministry. Oh, interesting. And I was so lost And she probably thought I was the coldest, most distanced, rejected person. (laughs) But I like literally looked at her and I said, that's not how it works. You do the work together, (laughs) your your friendship emerges from the common work, from the common ministry, from the common interest. It's not that you're friends together and then your friendship of your emotional attachment becomes the basis for your ability to work together. At least for me, it didn't work that way. Um, But I remember that so clearly because I just felt like we were in parallel universes. Like, (laughs) I just felt like, no, like, I will become your friend after we have a common goal or a common interest or a common work, and Mm -hmm. that will bond us. Rather than creating the bond, like some emotional... And then the work comes out of that. And then the the work comes out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if that parallels a little bit of our views of marriage, too how we view marriage as this kind of my best, I married my best friend. And what we mean by that is this deep emotional, you know, I fell in love and this is Mm -hmm. the person. And so then the work of marriage and family or whatever, it it can only be sustained as long as you have that emotional bond. So this is just blowing my mind to hear you talk about this, Gina. And I would say that in a time of cultural upheaval, yeah, lots of suffering, the type of friendship that's going to be more stable is not the one that relies on our emotions.
3: Yeah. I I think there's a lot to be said for that because uh, you see them through, through the course of this friendship, through their letters, you, you see them becoming more and more and more comfortable with each other by talking about these intellectual things that mattered so much to both of them. And even even when they get a little combative, like I said before, even when they disagree and have conflicts, you sense that there's already this shared foundation, this deep bond that is going to hold up through that. And it does uh, because the same things matter so much to them both. And then later, a little bit later on, you see them sort of um, experiencing cultural shifts all around them. Uh, Lewis, of course, a lot of us know, was at Oxford doing apologetic work. And that was at a time when that caused him to be looked on with some suspicion and, and just people were... People couldn't understand what he was doing, why he was doing it, you know, an Oxford scholar writing works of popular theology, this is just not done, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? <laughs> and, and so he, he experienced, um, and, and, and just the culture in general was was shifting a lot then, and uh, Christianity as he and Sarahs had both known it all their lives, that the, the role of Christianity in the whole world seemed to be changing. And Sarahs was experiencing something of this too. And so now they had this friendship where they could really sort of get each other and support each other. And they did support each other very much through that because um, Lewis... Was friends with so many people who were doing imaginative work, creative work. He wasn't really friends with that many apologists, uh, but and he, he had encouraged Sarahs to do apologetic work even when she wasn't particularly feeling like it. And so uh, they they both found themselves in this role that was regarded with suspicion. Just people didn't necessarily comprehend what they were doing. That they, they were they ended up in a in a debate on the same side of the debate uh, over Christianity uh, because they had both been attacked in print for their role, for what they were doing. They, They were accused, I believe, of, you know trying to elevate theology over science and put down the role of science and so forth. And so their letters to each other about this are very amusing because, oh, you know, they find themselves on the receiving end of this barrage and they were, they're just talking to each other like, well, you know, that this is how it goes, I guess. And, and, that part know. of the book was hilarious Uh-huh. because just
2: to, just to let listeners know, this woman had written a book against Lewis and Sayers and what, uh, who else? Um, T.S. Eliot. Uh, T.S. Eliot. And like, literally, she wrote an entire book against mm. these people saying why they're wrong. <laughs> and and Lewis and Sayers were corresponding about whether the other had read the book. And I think it was Sayers basically said, I'm not going to spend money to read a book that's bashing me. I mean, that's my <laughs> contemporary interpretation of it. But she's like, I'm not going to spend money for that. Um, right. So I was, it was hilarious. Um,
3: yeah. Yeah, and, and they agreed to, to uh debate this lady. And it, as it turned out in the end, uh she had to, the their opponent had to pull out and somebody substituted for her. But uh they, they did this debate. Uh by all accounts, they did very well together in this debate and you know, oh to have been a fly on the wall and to have seen and heard this, it must have been amazing. We we have a few of uh um, well, we have a report of what Sayers said that day. We, we don't really have uh, the transcript of Lewis's remarks, unfortunately, but uh, they're just—they're just amazing to read, and it must have been great to hear. And so, uh, they were—they were together in this uh, sort of battle, and yet. They were again. Their personalities were very robust, very indomitable. They didn't waste time sitting around pitying themselves for oh, the whole world is changing. This is really hard. I hate this. You know, uh, they, they didn't <laughs> whine about it. They just sort of charged in the battle side by side, and you know, enjoyed themselves. And uh, each. Each of them understood what the other was experiencing. Lewis calls her, and I use this as a, a chapter title, Lewis calls her Sister Dinosaur because he felt like a dinosaur. Uh, he, he famously said this in a speech. And uh, she she wrote and said, you know, I really get that. And so he called her Sister Dinosaur. <laughs> and, so, and so they had this experience of being dinosaurs together. And, you know, they didn't whine or pout about it, but they, they just uh, were able to commiserate with each other over it.
1: The parallels that I'm seeing between what they were experiencing and what we may have experienced here in the last few months—it's interesting. Um, there's there's the backdrop of the social and cultural upheaval and the unrest and difficulties in society, and then there are the faith issues um, with how people are perceiving Christianity and and really calling different ideas to account in terms of faith and theology. Um, It's interesting that these are still the same sorts of struggles, like they change, and yet the, the type of struggle is still the same. And in some ways, that's encouraging to me to know that here today, we have all kinds of things that we're facing as a society. And then within the realm of faith and Christianity, there are still these things that we are wrestling out and um, needing to defend in some ways or sort through in other ways. It's encouraging to me to know that, okay, this is something that we're all going to face, and friendships make that better. Um, Can you talk a little bit about whether it's from Lewis and Sayers or just your own insight Gina what do you learn from what you've studied in terms of how friendships help people to move through these spaces where it's just difficult in life from all fronts personal and society and faith like what what can you share with us about that
3: well we we learn from this friendship uh, in this particular case, when they were going through this, that it just meant a lot to each of them to have each other to rely on, to know that somebody was there who understood, who had your back. Mm-hmm. You know, when Lewis gave his this speech I've referred to at Cambridge about how he felt like a dinosaur and so forth, his future wife Joy was there, mm-hmm. and even she didn't totally get it because she was she was a newer Christian. She you know she lived in America. She wasn't at Oxford. She didn't see uh some of the things that Lewis had gone through. And and uh she wrote to somebody, you know, it, she I like the speech, but you know, I, I thought uh it, I thought he was just a little bit uh when he talked about post Christian Europe he was getting a little ahead of himself and, mm-hmm. and you know she she didn't think it was all that bad uh but but then she had not been there and seen all the things that he had experienced. Mm-hmm. Um Tolkien had seen some of it because uh he he taught at oxford too and he had he had seen some of the things that lewis had gone through up close personal and then sayers knew about them too because although she wasn't right there at oxford with him she experienced some of that in her own sphere and she knew uh what it was like to be someone defending christianity in this particular time and place and she just got it they just mm-hmm. got it they un- they got each other they understood each other they were they were doing similar work and experiencing similar reactions. And both of them had that sort of character and personality where uh, they didn't want to back down. I, they, hmm. they, they weren't. Um, they weren't trying to be, they weren't trying to be combative just for the sake of being combative. I mean, <laughs> you know, they 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 had they had this battle that was set before them, and so they both you know sort of charged in side by side. But but they weren't just deliberately being trying to be obnoxious or anything. They just <laughs> they, they saw this thing happen. That's the
1: best part of friendship: deliberately right. being obnoxious together. <laughs>
3: That <laughs> <Right. laughs> they just that they had this battle that was set before them, and and they did what they could, and but it, it meant a lot to both of them to know here's somebody I can go and vet to, and some mm. of the things that Sarah said to to Lewis were enormously. Uh, well, they, they were they were unusual, but they were also funny. <laughs> There's this <laughs> one part I, I keep quoting, with, with, where um, she she says to Lewis, "You know, you like souls. I don't." <laughs> she, I mean, he was he was some sort of a natural evangelist and and writer of apologetics, and she didn't ever feel that it came naturally to her. But she she said to him, "God is taking advantage of the fact that I can't stand intellectual chaos because all these atheists she would deal with." would give her these terrible, sloppy arguments that she just could not abide <laughs> because she was so intellectual. So she would charge it and try to set them straight. So one way or another, they found themselves in this role uh, where they were they were trying to fight a, a spiritual and intellectual battle. And so they could talk to each other about that. They could get support from each other for that. And it, it meant a lot.
2: And I think one of the things I love about their friendship was that it also was life-giving to other people. So while they derived support within this context, within their own calling, their own work to be apologetics in a culture that was um, questioning Christianity and the church, the role of the church in society, it actually supported them in doing their work, which then benefited other people and still benefits us today. And, And I think that is the test of any healthy relationship. Um, we talk about that perhaps in marriage, but I think it's the same measure of friendship. Does this partnership produce life or does it close in on itself and collapse in on itself and create this isolated um, couple or this isolated group of friends that shuts out the world and you're either in the group or out of the group? And, you know, Lewis talks about some of that with the inner ring um, but, but the idea that Sayers and Lewis' relationship, while it was mutually supportive, encouraging, and helped them better their craft, actually was opened outward into flourishing and life and goodness to the broader world. And I think that really is the test of whether a friendship is doing what it's supposed to do.
1: Hey friends! This is Erin. I hope you are enjoying our conversation with Gina about her book on Lewis and Sayers that explores the power of friendship. But Gina actually has another book releasing soon that I wanted to make you aware of. This episode of Persuasion is sponsored by Plough Publishing House, publisher of Gina's new book, The Gospel in Dickens. Plough is giving away five copies of the new Dickens volume. To register for the giveaway, visit plough.com slash C-A-P-C. That's P-L-O-U-G-H dot com slash C-A-P-C. Don't miss this chance to win a copy of The Gospel in Dickens.
3: Uh, Their friendship has benefited so many that we don't always realize that because as i said earlier that the story of their friendship hasn't been that well known but yes they 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 supported each other in this important work that they were doing uh for for the benefit of others they were always talking about uh projects they should do um how how christianity could help this this wartime and then this post-war society that they found themselves in uh sarah's was of the opinion that uh Christians had messed up really badly in the years leading up to the war, that there was so much they could have done that they didn't do. And and this had just l- helped lead to all the catastrophe they found themselves in. And so she was really keen on Uh, bringing out Christian principles and applying them to to post-war society and helping build society back up on more Christian principles. And so Lewis was somebody she could talk to about this, and and he was in agreement, and and they were always talking about what kind of work they could do to to help this goal. And so, yes, it, it was a friendship that was enormously beneficial, not just to themselves.
1: Well, Gina, I have so enjoyed hearing you talk about these two and their friendship. And I I love... All of the nuances. I love how much you love talking about them, and how much that you have gone so deep into their correspondence and and their personalities and their quirks. I mean, that just makes it all the more enjoyable. So, thank you so much for being with us. I will make sure that we get the link for your book up, just so that everyone can track it down. Um, I've, like I said, I've, I'm just two chapters in, and now I cannot wait to uh, do a deep dive and just finish the rest of it, devour it, because. It's just been so delightful. So thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it.
3: Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed it.
1: Well, that will do it for our conversation today. We have one more conversation with another special guest in the works for the end of this Getting By series. We do hope you'll come back for that one. And we will put all the links for the other conversations in the show notes. So if this is your first listen for this Getting By series, go back and check out the other conversations. And uh, we look forward to Bringing you one last guest next time, we have Luke Harrington on tap to talk through some things to do with humor. And in the meantime,
2: we'd love for you to join us on Twitter to keep the conversation going. You can find us at PersuasionCAPC. Come join us and talk about how you're getting by, how friendship has helped you in these moments, these last few months, um, the kinds of things maybe in the past that have helped you get by. You can join us there at Twitter. And of course, Christ and pop culture members can pick up the discussion in our community Facebook group. If you're not a member, you can become one for just $5 a month and your investment supports programs like this and all of the other thoughtful commentary that you find at Christ and pop culture through our site, through the digital magazine and through the other podcasts. You can connect with us um, at persuasionpodcast.buzz, where you can listen and read show notes, follow up on uh, what's been going on. Of course, we're on Instagram at persuasioncapc, Facebook, and again, join us on Twitter at at the same tag, persuasioncapc.
1: Thanks so much to Jonathan Claussen. He's our producer for Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture podcast network. Give them a listen at christandpopculture.com, or you can go to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture. All the shows will pop up there. While you're at iTunes, we would love your ratings and reviews. That helps us to be found by other listeners who would also enjoy tuning in. And we do thank you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time.
0: You have been listening to Persuasion
1: with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com/network. Theme music by Maiden Name.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.